American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Roland Macy was a failure. Now, I don't want you to disagree with me. He absolutely was a failure. He had a succession of failed stores for decades, losing umpteen dollars in the process. But eventually, he hit upon success in New York City in 1858. What happened? How did he transform his life of failure into one of success such that Macy's is still a brand name around the world? It happened because he did not learn from his mistakes. His methods, based in this abstract notion of buy low, sell slightly higher than that low, worked in the abstract. But it worked only in a very particular kind of economy, the economy of New York City. When he attempted this method in other places, it failed. So in understanding his early failures and his later successes, we can understand how transformative uh, this new trade system was, this new factory system of the early 19th century. Entrepreneurs are not alone. They are part of this broad context. Roland Macy was born in an island near Boston called Nantucket in 1822. He had come from a family that had been on the island since the mid-17th century. And he had this, the life that most lads had in the 1840s who were born on islands, a wild early life of whaling and gold mining. And like so many sailors, he came back with hardly any money at all. But he did come back with a tattoo, a red star tattoo on his arm. It's still the symbol of Macy's today. But he drew on his family money and connections to start a business of his own, not on the island, but on the mainland in a small town called Haverhill. Now, this was his fourth time trying to start a store. He had a dogged faith in his own ability, perhaps a little too much faith, it would seem, if you were creditors for his first three stores. But it was the time when his business policies were nearly identical to the one that would later be his success in New York City. The Haverhill Cheap Store, that's what he called it, the Haverhill Cheap Store, was, quote, the original cheap store. And it sold prints and cottons and ginghams and muslins and cambric and lace, all different kinds of fabric. There were very few of a lot of different kinds of dry goods. And over the years, he expanded this shallow inventory further into so-called fancy goods or notions like shawls and bonnets, perfumes, fancy baskets, and parasols. More manufactured goods, goods that came out of a factory rather than goods that you would assemble at your own house. More ready to use, ready to wear. His inventory was based, in his mind, on newness and auctions. He claimed that new goods would be received from Boston and New York every week. He explained that he would buy at auction on the docks and provide his customers with the cheapest possible prices. Macy had a policy of selling at fixed prices rather than haggling on every individual scale. And so his business was on the idea of volume, large volumes standardized prices, everything that would 
be born out of this new trade system of the early 19th century. Something that would allow his customers to take advantage of all those efficiencies born of the market and of the factories. Quote, we are not to be undersold at any rate, Boston not accepted. The very smallest profit will be asked on each article, and the lowest price always named first. He bought for cash, and he expected to be paid in cash. He bought low, and he expected to charge his customers low. And so this process was at once very innovative and in the abstract totally possible. Yet it was very difficult for Macy to actually have the volume in this small town north of Boston that would be necessary to make a profit on all those fixed prices. What made sense in the abstract, taking advantage of this new economy, did not make sense in the particular. Macy's actual customers were farmers, farmers who were paid only once a year when the harvest came in. And so when they would come into town looking to shop, go to his store and find that he wanted cash and didn't offer credit, they were flustered. When he came in and found that he had no way to lend him money, they left his shop. Other stores in town always offered credit. This is how they lured farmers in. And unless the customers were actually paid in cash, unless they were actually wage workers, it was impossible for this system to work out at a profit, which is exactly what happened. The store in Haverhill folded only a couple years later. The debts reveal that his plan for supply failed. He was too far from the wharves of Boston and New York City, and so instead of relying on those very efficient, very cheap auctions, he'd buy through intermediaries called jobbers who would themselves buy from the auctions. But buying through an intermediary meant that the prices he was paying were actually very high. And so this process of trying to rely on the market, trying to rely on and transfer that cheapness of the market to customers was an utter failure when you were in small towns. But in New York City, the story of Macy is entirely different. So Macy moves to New York City in 1858. He's a 36-year-old failure. And after his store closes in Massachusetts, he actually goes to Wisconsin to do a bit of land speculation. That, it being Roland Macy, also ended in failure. Now, what was the same, what was different about his new shop that he opens in New York City? What's surprising is the similarity of business practices to his failed shop. He doesn't change hardly anything. He has one price, a fixed price, and he only accepts cash. But the differences in New York City were on the customer side. It was not a population of farmers, but a population of wage earners. And his stock was far more narrow, a narrow inventory focused on particular lines of goods. He focused not on the cheapest of goods, but on the fancy dry goods, lace, embroideries, hosiery, kid gloves. And of course, this was something that was very novel, that most of the fancy stores where you could buy the fancy dry goods actually offered credit. And so his one price cash-only policy that allowed for lower prices on these fancy goods was a real success. For more information, go to edX.org and look for American Capitalism, a History with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist.
or go to facebook.com slash American Capitalism MOOC. This podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University. Thank you.